Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Okay, so here's the problem. Uh, we're going to miss our target. The crowdfunding campaign ends on Tuesday, and we will just miss it. We will be like, the rate that we're going now, we'll be about 95% of the way towards the goal of making this podcast about Thunder Bay, Ontario. A serialized investigative podcast about this small city where the mayor and his wife and the chief of police and this high-powered lawyer are all facing criminal charges having to do seemingly with some kind of extortion attempt. A city that has the highest homicide and hate crime rates in the country and a city where indigenous youth keep dying under mysterious and unexplained circumstances. That is the podcast that has brought 1,100 of you to us as new supporters. Thank you. Thank you. We work for you now. Thank you for supporting the show. It's been a tremendous campaign so far, but I know that we have done so well because a lot of you want us to make this podcast and we want to make this podcast. And I think that we feel as a lot of you do, this is just a story that needs to happen, that there isn't enough journalism in this town, that that this has to happen. And my instinct is like, who cares? We miss it by 5%. We should just go and do it anyhow. We should just make this podcast either way. But the thing about that is... We can't half-ass this. This project is going to require 
a real commitment from Canada Land. We want to do it right. We want to work with local journalists. We don't want to parachute in and just get what we can. No, we, we want to work with local communities. We want to do the research that is necessary. We want to do a fair investigation. We want to talk to people there, put in the time, do something that is as well produced as anything that we've done. And to do that, it just needs to be properly funded. Now, if we do miss our target, if we just miss it as we are on course to right now, we'll leave that open as a goal, as something that we intend to do when we reach that level. And we simply won't be soliciting on the podcasts for new funds. Who knows? It could inch its way up there and trigger that podcast. Based on previous years, the funding actually slowly goes down throughout the year, not up. So this is the dilemma. This is the problem. We have five days left. I am open to ideas. How can we boost our efforts in the last days of this campaign? Talk to me about this. Talk to me on Twitter. Talk to me via email at jesse at canadalandshow.com. This can be done if we can increase our momentum in these closing days. And of course, if you want to increase your support or if you want to become a new supporter, patreon.com slash canadaland is the place to go. Anyhow, that's it. That is the last crowdfunding message you're going to hear from me until next year's. Thank you, guys. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website, showcase your work blog or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code CanadaLand. You'll get 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is also brought to you by the app Hi Mama. This is an ingenious app for those parents who are dealing with dropping your kids off at daycare and dealing with the emotional side of that on your end as well as theirs and just wanting to know what is going on at daycare. This is a Canadian startup that has a solution. They make it simple for daycares to send parents private notifications in real time about how kids are doing. Ask your daycare to consider using the Hi Mama app by going to highmama.com slash CanadaLand And if your daycare signs up for a demo, you will get a $25 Amazon gift card. Freelance writer Sarah Haji. Hello. Today we are going to talk about the new national. Why stop at four? Why not five hosts? Why not 12? I pay my taxes. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of taxes, we are going to discuss today why the haters can't just leave Britney alone. I mean Bronfman. Leave leave Bronfman alone. Uh, and finally, we are going to talk about why it's just too bad for Alex Jones because it is brown girls to the front at Lido Pimienta concerts. Those are some hot topics. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. It's good to have you here. Thanks. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Adam Kendall, Laura Robin, Risa Schwartz, Maxine Levine, Jennifer Murphy, Fraser Calderwood, Michael Roman, and Delna Contractor. Hi, my name is Delna Contractor. I'm based out of Toronto, where I work as a lawyer. I support Canada Land because you and your team provide much-needed critical analysis of Canadian media and politics. You've introduced me to some great Canadian journalists like Omar Malalam, and you've also provided some lulls along the way, which is pretty nice. I've been listening to the podcast for some time now, but I finally decided to pitch in after listening to the Sarah Poli interview, which was such a great discussion on sexual assault in the Canadian context, and I really want to hear more stuff like that. And this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. 
Uh, Sarah, you're a freelance writer? Yes, I you gotta, am. You gotta have a portfolio set. I need one. I really do need one. I don't have a website. I I'm noticed that on your on your Twitter account, it says it says you're too lazy to have a website. Yes, I am. I'm so lazy. I don't know what to do. It's so hard. Well, luckily, I have just the answer for you. <laughs> it is not as hard as you might think because if you use Squarespace, uh, you can have a beautiful looking uh, website, perfect for a freelance writer reporter to show a portfolio of your wonderful work. And you can just take a template that was made by a very skilled designer and just apply your own information to that template. And within minutes, you'll have a very professional looking website that will. Always be up to date. You never have to patch anything. They have uh, great support around the clock. Head to squarespace.com, Sarah, or, you know, anyone else for that matter, for a free trial. And when you are ready to launch, when you're ready to launch your new business, your portfolio site, your next idea, use the offer code CANADALAND and you will save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that is squarespace.com, offer code CANADALAND. It is Monday, November the 6th, and this is The National. You'll notice some things are new tonight, including the fact we're coming to you from three cities. I'm Adrian Arsenault in Toronto. I'm Rosemary Barton in Ottawa. I'm Andrew Chang in Vancouver. And I'm Ian Hanamansing in Toronto. One thing that isn't new, the journalism you expect, that will stay the same. On this night, a small town in the United States still reeling from a shooting at a... Sir, did you watch The New National? I watched clips of it online. That's how I watched it. <laughs> They're so adorable. They're so earnest. I know people are expecting me to hate on the new national, but I saw them there. Four hosts with their like slim rectangular yeah. windows. It was cutting off their ears. And they said, look at the set. We're in different cities. It was like um, Captain Planet. It reminded me of turn of the century. The cinema is putting vaudeville out of business. The last days of vaudeville. And and like it's like backstage. And they're like, Fellas, they, they're, they're saying that, that vaudeville's days are numbered. Well, we're going to go out there tonight and show them what vaudeville really is. I, I liked it. I, I was charmed by it, you know? Like, Jimmy, you're going to sing. You're going to croon. Doris, you're going to huff like you've never huffed before. Like, they really gave a stellar showcase of what the completely anachronistic nightly newscast can be. You kind of want to hate on it because it is so earnest. Yeah. And, like, we're all broken people. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I, I want to be like, I want to be like, this was stupid and lame. But it was really nice. And I think it's something that Canada probably needs because, I mean, I can't think of a nightly newscast that I, I actually am like, oh, I got to hear what this person has to say. Yeah. Um, I think it's the last thing that we need, but I I, I, I liked it too. <laughs> it's, the last, it's the last thing we need to know. <laughs> d- d- despite how broken I am inside, I enjoyed it. And yet, like you, I watched it the next day, right? I was like really interested to see what they were doing. And then the pieces were just a little too long, so I would fast forward to the next one. And then they would do like a tribute to the Leonard Cohen concert, but I wanted to get to the actual report from, I don't know what, what was in what order, but everything is, you know, the National Newscast spoon feeds you, here's what you need to know in the order that we say. And I kind of made my own news program by shifting ahead to see what it was all about, to go past the things that I found boring. They had these long nostalgic reminiscences of like national past, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I maybe am less interested in, in the kind of breaking news cop shot in Abbotsford and more wanted to see this very well done report that Adrian Arsenault did. Uh, uh, but, uh, I, you know, the town that ISIS fled, their, their capital, like that was interesting. And that's something that TV does really well. But I essentially made my own show in a nonlinear way the day after it was broadcast. I mean, nothing more to me could highlight how that format of like the live, we're live, you know, it's it's dead. It is dead. I mean, I, I have cable, which is um, wow. only 
Only because I live with my sister and her family, and they're like real adults. Oh, okay. okay. So that's the only reason why I have cable. I always have to tell everyone that so they don't think I'm like springing for cable or something. But I didn't watch it live. First of all, I didn't even remember it was on. Um, <laughs> second of all, it's exactly it. Like you'll be like, oh, okay, I'll just watch the highlights online and just see what people say. So I do wonder how people are going to watch it mostly. Like, are they going to? segment it better for an online audience? Yeah, I, I think that they're trying to make it multi-platform and they're like, you know, chunking it up the next day and then they've got like a newsletter where they're like like a tabloid newsletter that's written in like a weirdly, <laughs> you know, it, it actually feels like that 1236 newsletter. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they, I think the rhetoric is we're going to slice and dice this and offer it to you in every format you want. But the reality is when you have this broadcast to make every night, that's the actual product you're making. You know, they're not in the business of making viral videos. They're in yeah, the business exactly. of making yeah, this, yeah. this nightly television newscast. And, they, and they, they're big on this live thing. And then they got like Andrew in Vancouver. They're three hours behind. So he's just got to sit there like a chump in case the news changes. <laughs> Every broadcast. Poor Andrew. Somebody called him the Ringo of the group. Like he's just like, okay, everybody, that was a great broadcast. I'm just gonna sit here in case any of these stories progress, so I can update our Vancouver audience. Yeah, that's true. I didn't really think of the time difference so much, but I don't know. It was its first sort of thing. I, I feel like I'll have to wait longer to form a better opinion. But I thought it was good. The, what I watched, I was like, yeah, I could see people being into this. I don't know. It's just hard to gauge because I'm so online. Yeah. So I'm just curious as to what someone who sits down and is like, hey, I'm going to watch a national is going to think. Yeah. Well, I think we have this concept of the, of the regular people. And, and there still are plenty of them. There's still are like lots of like parents out there who watch the news at mm-hmm. night. I don't think that we should neglect that audience. I just feel like the CBC, CBC is still trying to operate in a world where that is the flagship oh, yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, you take Rosemary Barton, who is fantastic on power and politics. That show is an important show. It's the flagship political TV show on the CBC. And, and she just was deep into the details doing accountability interviews on her own show. Now she's like fighting for airtime on The National and somebody else will have that power in politics. Like they, they, they're still prioritizing The National as the be all and the end all. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing is that they're still they're still acting like it's 20 years ago in terms of what the priorities and where the money goes and where the flashy yeah. graphics go. It's the Panama Papers 2.0, except this time the web of links to offshore tax havens is far wider. Revealing how the ultra-rich shelter their money in offshore tax havens. Offshore banking can sound shady, but in the majority of cases, it is not. Have you been following the Paradise Papers? Yes. You know what? And I'm really proud of myself for following it because (laughs) I usually don't give a shit about anything to do with money. Yeah. And I frankly don't understand economics that well. But this is this is really something, especially the National Post <laughs> article about uh, that you talked about a bit. Um, the Terrence Corcoran there we response? Go. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. That was beautiful. OK, so let's first uh, <laughs> we need to talk about that piece. Uh, so the Paradise Papers will summarize. Uh, and and we're, like I'm with you. I don't I don't the business section. I'll read. Last and like mm-hmm. I do feel like this is important. This is probably more important than the other stuff I read. So I'm gonna read this, and I feel yep. very good about myself when I get through it. I feel so smart. Yes. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> this is two people who don't know what they're talking about summarizing a very complicated story <laughs> about tax avoidance, not evasion, yet. And there's a very important distinction there. But essentially, this is the next huge trove of leaked internal documents about offshore tax havens. The first was the Panama Papers. Now it's the Paradise Papers. And there's this international consortium of journalists because this touches like every corner of the globe. So uh, there's this group that's working with journalists in every country. Here it's a partnership between the Star and the CBC. 
and they found some stuff. There are over 2,700 Canadians named in these papers, and they go to great lengths to say, look, there's nothing inherently illegal in using an offshore account, but this is how people avoid taxes, and it is sometimes how, how people evade taxes, which is illegal. And then you go scour through these documents to see what famous names pop up, yeah. and if there's anything that crosses the line into illegal or seemingly unkosher, illegal-ish. Not really frowned upon behavior. <laughs> well, you know what? Because when they actually, and this is an issue too, is that like, you know, they say like when regular people cheat on their taxes, it's illegal. When the ultra wealthy cheat on their taxes, uh, they strike a deal with the CRA because the CRA would rather have their money than have them in jail. And, you know, they kind of like have granted amnesty and come to all mm-hmm. kinds of accommodations. So the big find so far, it gets pretty technical So the way that it was described in the Guardian's headline, Justin Trudeau's close advisor helped move huge sums offshore. And what is detailed is this very complicated partnership between the Bronfman family, who uh, are an incredibly wealthy Canadian family, and Stephen Bronfman is a top advisor and fundraiser for Justin Trudeau. And they had dealings with Leo Kolber, a former Canadian senator and powerhouse within the Liberal Party. And what this team of top journalists at the CBC and the Star were able to piece together is uh, is, is this, this strategy, this scheme. Here, I'll quote. Accountants working for the families discussed the possibility of recasting interest owed by the Colbert Trust to two U.S.-based Bronfman funds as services rendered. On the basis that the loans were not in substance actual loans, only in form, tax experts say that such interest-free loans would generally be barred under U.S. tax laws. So essentially what is being alleged here is that there were phony loans. You can't give an interest-free loan because that's often used in tax evasion. So Colbert had to pay interest, but then he said, can you make me whole again? I shouldn't have had to pay this interest. And then the Bronfman's lawyers were like, okay, we'll, we'll find a way to get you that $40,000 back. So essentially it's like there's this evidence of that they were like scheming to kind of like make something look like a legit loan when it was kind of a fraudulent loan or or not actually a loan. A loan, in, 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 and this is in their own words, in substance, only in form. Experts who review the documents say that the records point to a potential quote-unquote sham. If it is done solely to disguise or to reverse the purported interest payments, it could look like an evidence of fraudulent intent, said the star's expert. There's also this other issue of uh, tax-free gifts, uh, quote-unquote abusive transactions, I am not going to make any definitive statements <laughs> as to whether anyone broke rules here, but it ain't looking good. Yeah, no, it's crazy to think that rich people can get away with so much. I know it's bad to say, like, is anyone surprised here? But I love these things because it's it further confirms that rich people are the worst. Yes. And I'm glad you bring up this word surprise, because that's what I've been hearing a lot of like kind of doubters and naysayers and critics of this. Uh, you know, I, I think that this is going to be a, a huge story. It already is oh, a huge yeah. story. And I want to dedicate like a, a full episode to this. I'm talking to the journalists behind this and they're just in the thick of reporting it right now. So I want to talk about this more. But like, let's just deal with this like initial response we're hearing from mm-hmm. Terrence Corcoran and from others. And it's something that Jen Gerson said on the show before about the Panama Papers, like, Oh, surprise, surprise. Rich people try to get out of paying taxes. Like, this doesn't surprise me. And my response to that is like, dude, journalists are not like, I'm not David Blaine. I'm not going to surprise you. (laughs) You know? I'm not like, this is like a Hitchcock film, like shocks and surprises. The job is to hold powerful people accountable. No, exactly. I mean, that's what I mean. It's bad to say like, oh, is anyone shocked here? Because like, that's not the point. But I feel like that could be used in like both ways for people like me, who are just like, yeah, kill the rich. And then other people, <laughs> and then other people who are like, 
Well, you know, they weren't really doing anything bad. Is this really a surprise? Which people do this all the time. Yeah. So I think that's pretty funny. But I'm not shocked. And of course, like you said, the point isn't to be shocked. But um, it is really interesting because especially wasn't there something with um, Brian Mulroney? Yes. Paul Martin, um, Jean Chrétien as well. Yeah. That's the other thing yeah. that's interesting about this. I mean- we know that rich people, or like any, everybody tries to spend as little money on taxes as possible. That's not like a huge shocker. Of but, course, yeah. But knowing who's doing it and how and whether or not they, they're hypocrites, knowing that Bono like is involved, like he's like on the surface. He's but it was all for the, the children, He's Jesse. there for poor people. In practice, he's doing things that seem contrary to that. I don't feel surprised by that, but I find it interesting. I'm glad to know that. I think it's in the public interest to know that there's hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And I think like just knowing the connections between rich people, because like we learned through this already that Paul Martin is one of the like here, the offshore holdings of former Prime Minister Paul Martin's family have proliferated in the years since he left public office. The Paradise Papers show Canada steamship lines, his former shipping empire uh, is one of the largest clients of the offshore law firm at the heart of the huge leak. The papers show that Jean Chrétien lobbied for a company called Madagascar Oil. That sounds so shady. I, I, in my mind, how this all happens, it's like it's like a movie where all these rich people show up in like this castle for rich people where they do these dealings. And they're like, hey, do you want to invest in this fake thing? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Like It's like, where are they all getting to get? Like, it makes me wonder the inner lives <laughs> of the super wealthy no, and can, how all it, these things yeah. happen. You're just like, what planet am I on and what planet are they on? It, it feels so far yeah, away. It, it confirms your suspicions that life is like like a Simpsons episode. Yes, where, like, 100%. Yes. And, and I mean, this is how it works. I mean, the same people who write these tax codes to try to stop people from avoiding taxes then get hired away by high-priced accountancy firms and law firms because they are like the CRA's people then go to work for the billionaires saying, oh, I know this stuff inside and out. Here's how you can find the loophole. And then prime ministers, when they're out of office, they get hired by law firms and they, and they, they get hired, you know, the law firms are proxies for companies. <laughs> well, I did run a country, you know. Yeah. I can find ways to find There, there are these roots. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there is a way that power works. I mean, there, that, that metaphorical big table where like Montgomery Burns sits down with uh, – Who's the Arnold Schwarzenegger character with the McBain guy, yes. Rainer Wolfcastle, and the, the Texan guy? That table kind of exists. No, it's like, you're just like, I guess all rich people just know each other. Like, all these billionaires are just <laughs> pals or buddying around, and you're like, So you are when? Terrence Corcoran's worst nightmare, because you, you want to kill all rich people. And, and that's what he says <laughs> is the problem with the Paradise Papers. He says, the Paradise Papers are another cheap shot at the wealthy. And he wrote, like, it's nice to know that the ultra-wealthy have a lot of column space dedicated to, like, promoting their interests. And, and Cor- <laughs> Corcoran's so always funny. there for them. And what he said was, in the annals of taxation. First of all, the annals of taxation. <laughs> does, do, do, these, do these annals exist? And Terrence Corcoran spent a lot of time pouring over. Okay, in the annals of taxation, there has never been a greater smear on capitalism and the rich. Oh, I love that line. Than the distorted and dishonest release of what the consortium claims is an offshore trove of revealing information purloined from an international law firm and other sources. So this is not fair to the rich. This is like ultimately why this is such stellar journalism and why we, we I'm so glad that this happened. It is not that this is interesting. It is interesting. It's not shocking, but yeah. it is interesting. It's not that I want to know how power works. That's great to know. It's not even the hypocrisy that the Queen of England and Bono and Trudeau, who campaigned on a platform of clamping down on tax evasion and avoidance, and now says that he's satisfied with Bronfman's explanation that he did nothing wrong. It's not even the hypocrisy. The best outcome of this, the best outcome is that from now on, wealthy people 
I'll count myself among them. I'm not in a Bronfman level. When I talk to my accountant and I say, okay, well, I've got RESPs, I've got my mutual funds. I want to pay as low taxes as possible. Everybody wants to pay as low taxes as possible, but like keep me from getting audited. Like don't do anything shady and, yes, and, and, exactly. and keep me yes. out of prison. Okay. And then I don't even know what he does after that. Right. So the ultra wealthy are basically saying the same thing. I believe them when they say, oh, I didn't even know about that offshore, this or that. But now they have to say to their accountant or their financial managers one more thing. They have to say, keep me from getting audited, keep me from going to prison, and keep me from getting written about in the next major leak. Yeah. It's, right? <laughs> so that's really good. It's really good that they now have that extra layer of accountability. Like now they're going to have to actually like pay higher taxes and not do hypocritical things because they don't want to be embarrassed. Yeah. And going back to that um, piece, the best part, I think, is just like, how he's just kind of like, leave them alone, you know? I, it just kind of, it's like, how dare you come after these people? And, and to me, it's just so insane that anyone can write like an impassioned defense of all these like super wealthy people moving money around. So they pretty much have to, I think it was, um, I forget the professor's name who, in Copenhagen, who was analyzing a lot of this. Right, right. I totally forgot his name, but he said it's pretty much people who, want to participate in society without actually participating in society. Yeah. And it's and it, it's like that's the only real thing that I, I just don't understand how that's at all defensible or it's kind of like Do you even get angry on yeah, their like, behalf? How, like <laughs> they don't need you. Like they don't need yeah. you to the to defend they don't, them. Terrence, they don't Terry, you can you can calm down. They'll be fine. It is kind of appalling. They're keeping I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be shocked, but like these are like hundreds of millions or billions of dollars that are being kept out of public programs yeah. and schools and libraries and welfare like like you know, they're not paying their fair share. It's good to expose them. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. 
Sarah, this is your first time on Shortcuts. Perhaps you are aware that we, uh, at a certain point in the program, take a few moments to duly note that which should and will and must be duly noted. Yes. Very well. May I go first? Of course. So the Globe and Mail is just publishing Chinese propaganda now. Yeah. <laughs> They're just probably, and that sounds like, like you think I'm going to go ahead and say that some article or some take that a columnist had is, is like Chinese propaganda. No, but it's literally Chinese propaganda. No, yeah, like China is saying, here's some money. Can you please publish some propaganda? And then there's a section in the Globe and Mail called China Watch. And here's the headline. Again, life is just a Simpsons episode. The headline is Onward to Rejuvenation. <laughs> Europeans express optimism about new party leadership. From a prized seat in the front row, a glimpse of the future emerges. Um, Times are tough for the Globe and Mail. And you know what? The New York Times ran the exact same thing like a week later. I guess that's just how it is now. Like, I, I, I am, am I like? There are some people out there who have a more encyclopedic knowledge of the the annals of <laughs> uh, advertorial than I do. Is this a new low, or or has this low been reached before? Somebody please inform me. Like, I, I, I know that if if it's clearly marked as paid content, there's not a lot that they. But there are standards of what they won't. There are things they won't publish. I would have thought that just like two pages of like. Communist Party of China propaganda would fall under the like, yeah, that looks like you're trying to make a newspaper within our newspaper and use our brand to legitimize what you're trying to do here. And and we need to report on you. Uh, So that's a bit of a dissonance there. So I actually saw it because Emily M. Keeler was tweeting about it. And I didn't know this, but she tweeted um, the Globe and Mail ran the paid propaganda for a regime that illegally detained a Globe journalist this year. Which is, <laughs> imagine being um, <laughs> Nathan Vanderclip yeah. and being like, shit, <laughs> my employer just ran propaganda from a country that detained me illegally. Yeah. Well, and and this idea that it was all done transparently because they said, okay, China Watch has paid for this. But they don't disclose that China Watch is the Communist Party of China. Like, you, you, you are told that it's paid for, but you don't know who paid for it. Duly noted. Sarah, what would you like to duly know today? So CBC Olympic, I guess they're trying to get us pumped. Uh, they posted a video of Canadian athletes eating Korean snacks, and it's very bad. Uh, I, it's just, it's Dong Wan, Korean traditional drink. does say Wang snack <laughs> on the back. Ooh, that's very fishy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Smells familiar. I've had this before, so. Actually, okay, okay. First of all, it's such a tired format of video. BuzzFeed's done a a version of that for every country. Yeah. (laughs) And those weren't good either. This particularly sucks because it's a bunch of athletes who I don't think are the most well-spoken people most of the time. Come on. Maybe, (laughs) maybe that's a mean thing to say, but. I mean, they're not especially charismatic or funny. Yeah. Um, they don't have much to offer in terms of. Oh, I'm being really mean now, but they don't have much. <laughs> they don't have much to offer in terms of like, I don't know, anything as other than using their bodies to do incredible things. But what really got me was just these are just snacks. Like it's just, I just don't understand how someone could be like, all right, Korea snacks. Let's get the athletes to eat all these wacky Asian foods. And have them react and make kind of, uh, I think, comments that are 
towing the line a bit for mildly racist. Well, can I talk about um, that? For, ask about that for a second, and, and I'll, I'll veer out of my lane here, only, yeah. only to say that in every memoir that I have ever read, these essays of about people saying, "Oh, growing up as the only ethnic kid in this school or that school, growing up as the only Asian kid, growing up as the only Indian kid," this defining anecdote in each of those memoirs is, "And every day at the cafeteria, I would have to unpack my lunch, where my mom yes. would make me food, and it would smell weird to all of the white kids, and they would make fun of me, and they would call me the curry kid or whatever." Like that is almost like become a trope. Of, it is. It's such. It's so annoying. How and could they not know that when they make the, to, for to have like these jocks, these like this. <laughs> Mr. Canada making fun of the smell of Korean food. Yeah, and mind you, um, there was only one non-white person uh-huh. in the whole thing that was eating the Korean snacks. And that's exactly it. I mean, I grew up uh, like being like, oh, shit, I hope I don't smell like my mom's rice when I go to school. Like, Because people think it's weird. Like, you go to school and all the white kids are like, what the hell are you eating? You know what I mean? And it is, it's like, I don't even bring it up because it's been brought up exactly like you said so many times. It's like such a common occurrence that I feel like it's almost not even worth mentioning. It's it just, I just don't understand the value in a video like that. Again, I don't think athletes should be speaking. No, that's a lie. That's a that's a joke. They can talk if they want I, to. You know, they gotta get this. How can we do something that's really derivative of other videos and that will trigger memories of being racist bullied uh, for all kids in the country? Like, you could be like them. Yes, you could. I, I, I don't know. It just, I didn't like it at all. It was cheesy. It was boring. It had no value otherwise. I mean, I hope it's getting dragged a lot online. Duly noted. I want to... Note, if I may, the plot to assassinate Tarek Fatah. You know, seems like something we should talk about. What can I say about Tarek Fatah? If you don't know Tarek Fatah, I know Tarek Fatah. He used to be a bit more of a mainstream pundit. Uh, He was booked at the Sunday edition of the CBC to come talk when I worked there. I I found him to be like, I liked Tarek just on a personal level. Like, I Mm -hmm. found him to be like this outspoken, pugnacious you know, fiery guy who just seemed like, and this was at a different point in in like the mainstream discussion about Islam. Here's this Muslim guy who is just giving hell to radical Islam. Mm -hmm. And he was beloved by a lot of mainstream media and ultimately embraced by Canada's real right-wing media because he just became more and more virulent with his condemnation, not just of like violent radical Islam. But if you follow his like Facebook postings and Twitter, he's like just kind of saying really, really offensive stuff. Oh, Uh, yeah. He's awful. He's gotten to this point where I would say he's just like beyond the pale of like I I wouldn't have him on the show because he has said things like after the uh, mosque shooting. He tweeted this crazy conspiracy theory that uh, Alexandra Bissonnette was not alone. His Muslim accomplice has been made state witness to avoid any talk of Muslim on Muslim terror. And that is so crazy. <laughs> the idea that the cops and Bissonnette himself would have to be in on it and everybody there, um, like, it's a crazy idea. And, it, and it's an idea that actually has real ramifications for that guy who was improperly arrested. There mm-hmm. was a Muslim guy who was originally arrested and then cleared completely. Now he's got to live his life with this national columnist um, conspiracy theory, like, that has never been retracted. Tarek Fatah has also said that Pakistan is a cancerous tumor on the face of humanity that will kill us all if not surgically removed. So like he's, I don't know what to think about Tarek because he's, he's like been fighting cancer and he's been um, going after like he, in addition to a lot of stuff that he said that I don't think that, that, that might even qualify as like really racist stuff. He's also gone after 
violent jihadist and he's made himself a target and and uh, yeah. he, he he like uh, has been through a lot through this, you know, and I've been watching his story with great interest. It's a really dramatic story. Um, and ultimately, there's this plot to kill him um, in India where he has his own sh- – because he's been a rebel guy and a Toronto Sun guy. Yeah. And he's also like a huge personality in India where he's just stoking this Hindu-Muslim tension to the point where like I guess there was like a fatwa called out on him. And, and, and the Indian police have arrested two plotters who are trying to kill the guy. Yeah. So I, I bring this up just because like this is something of relevance to the Canadian media. We would have reported this if we'd been first to it. We weren't. But I want to bring it up just because, like, a few people have been asking, like, what, why haven't more people been coming to his defense and why haven't we been talking about this more? John Kay wrote a thing where he said, you know, uh, we, we, we like to heap um, – we like to call ourselves brave as journalists. But when somebody's really brave, like Tarek Fatah, oh my God. Uh, where are we? Where is the CJFE giving him awards for his bravery? And – I won't dispute that he is getting less press than he should for this because it is an interesting story. I think maybe it's because like what's happening in India is pretty far away from the competence of a lot of journalists here to actually get to the bottom of. But the reason why we're not celebrating him as a brave journalist who is who is fighting for his life to protect his right to say the things he wants to say is that I don't think he's a journalist anymore. Well, I don't it's not that I don't think he's a journalist, but I don't necessarily agree with that definition of brave at all. I mean, his whole shtick is getting a reaction out of people. I've been attacked by him online uh, once so badly that I had to, like, get off Twitter for, like, two weeks because it was just coming from every time oh, zone. I didn't know that. He goes yes. to the jugular, too. And, yeah, and he, he's got he, a posse, you know? Yes, of course. He posted my picture. Uh-huh. He, like, it was just, it was insane. And it was, this was uh, a few years ago before I even had a big following at all. I had, like, maybe a thousand followers. And he, like, found time to go after me. So, of course, like, I, on a personal level, I, I despise him. Yeah. But... I don't know if bravery means, you know, oh, he he says all this stuff that is really inflammatory, dangerous, in my opinion, can cause violence. Like, you know, he he panders to these violent people who are able to send someone who has no influence, thousands of death threats, uh, pictures of mutilated bodies. And I'm not the only one. It's been there's so many people who have felt his wrath, uh, his followers and everything. Of course, no one should be threatening to kill someone. It's awful that there's a plot to kill a person for, you know, just saying things. But it doesn't make him a hero because someone threatens to kill him. Like, am I supposed to be like, oh, he's so brave because someone was crazy enough to want a plot to kill him? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I shouldn't have to be coming to his defense for anything. No, well, I, look, yeah, no, I, I, I know you're not saying that, but I mean, like. You know, no, we think the same yeah. thing about. I, 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 I will defend his right to not be killed. You of know? course, <laughs> like, exactly. I don't um, think anyone should be trying to kill him. This is what got Bill Maher in trouble a long time ago. So, and, and even in making that uh, comparison is one that I realize now. I wish I hadn't. But, you know, <laughs> look, we, 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 we shouldn't conflate bravery with heroism, right? It yeah. is brave to to taunt and insult violent people. Is 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 brave. And Bill Maher made the point years ago, and he lost a TV show when he said, "Well, the nine eleven bombers, the nine eleven attackers were brave. They were willing to die for what they believed. They weren't right." They were murderers. Yeah. They were brave. Uh, we now equate bravery with like a good – it's not always a good thing. True, right? yeah. So to go to, uh, you know, the violent uh, jihadists of the world and and pick a constant lifelong fight with them does paint a target on his chest and it seems like he's willing to do that. So but has I'll, he I'll done... give him points for bravery. No, but... he's definitely done those things. But like has he really done anything good? Like there are plenty of Muslims who dedicate, um, you know, their life to – 
being like violent jihadists are wrong. These people are wrong. You know, like I'm Somali. Um, you know, my parents know so many people who are in Somalia and who have been killed for trying to give kids education for trying to do that. And it's kind of like the way he does things. If he's saying I'm against radical Islam, I'm a re- I'm against um you know, extremism, which he is, but he's also against pretty much all Muslims in general <laughs> when it comes down to it. But I mean, is he doing things in a way that benefits the people who are the biggest targets of this? Or is he just going to, you know, India, making these speeches, writing these awful columns and tweets and books that kind of just stoke more violence? You know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of it, it, just the way he does things is so wrong to me. Of course, again, I would just like to be clear. No one should be threatening to kill him. As if it has to be said. <laughs> but I, I, I agree with you. I, and I feel like the guy, you know, I, I, like, I'm connected with him on Facebook and, mm-hmm. and uh, as well as on Twitter. I follow And like for a guy who lives in a country where Muslims don't hurt anybody in this country. Yeah. And you read his his like if you were to be he's got lots of followers who are rebel people. And, you know, all you would get is this just like endless stream of Muslims acting in horrible, violent ways. And if you didn't know any Muslims and all you read was Tariq Fatah, who is a Muslim, basically giving you permission yeah. to hate, permission to judge, permission to feel that these people are lower th- than low, and and saying things that a white pundit couldn't say by virtue of being brown and being a Muslim himself. Oh, yeah, of course. That, it, that's, yeah. He, I think he makes Muslims in Canada less safe, it, like in a general way. And then in a specific way, there is one human being who has to watch his back now because of Tarek? Like, like it, for me, it's unconscionable. You can't call yourself a journalist if you throw around a conspiracy theory like he did that that there was a false flag operation at a mosque shooting and that it was actually yeah. a Muslim plot. And that, I, for me, that was like, okay, goodbye, guy. He's been playing with fire so much and stoking these flames and you know just saying all these awful things that can hurt people. That it, this outcome to me isn't shocking. <laughs> No, but it it isn't though. It's, it's no kinda, paradise papers. It's, it's <laughs> no paradise papers. But I mean, it's no. It's not. It's not right. But it's not. It's not good. It shouldn't be. And but I, it's not a big surprise. And I think it is. If you're going to defend him, or you know, write a, an impassioned piece about how to stand behind him, it's worth looking at what got him to this place. Yeah. Completely. And I feel like if you're not seeing um, how something like this could happen, then there's really no point in analyzing it. So duly noted. Okay, so I don't even know, like, if, like, do you have to disclose that you like someone's music when you're talking about a news story involving them? I like Lido's music. Uh, <laughs> I'm a fan. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's not like uh, an actual conflict of interest. Like, we don't hang out or anything. That'd yeah. be cool. We don't. <laughs> Sarah, have you been following this Lido Pimenta story? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It got picked up first by uh, Canadian media, and then it was an InfoWars mm-hmm. story, and then the rebel... Uh, of course, is on it. And essentially what has been reported is that Lido Pimienta said at a concert, brown girls to the front, and that there was a white photographer there who would not be moved and uh, would not acquiesce to this racist. She's in for wars, Rosa Parks. Yes. <laughs> Alex Jones's version of Rosa. I think that that might actually have been invoked at yeah. some point. So one thing that you'll notice in all the coverage of this, be it in the Canadian press or or on InfoWars, is that the photographer, this volunteer photographer, is never named 
And that's really weird. I mean, this is essentially a news story about two women, Lido Pimienta and this photographer. The photographer's not named. So we found out what her name is. And, and you know, the, the, the Canadian reporter tried to find out her name, but the festival wouldn't give it up. And he didn't seem to look beyond that. She's just the photographer. Her name is Kate Giffen. And Kate Giffen at the show was not simply a person who kind of refused to stand back. She got into kind of this ugly, uh, aggressive altercation with the women of color who were coming to the front, which sort of ended with her screaming, sorry, I'm white, or something to that effect. Uh, and she became a really hostile person who, who Lido had to stop the show. What we also have learned about Kate Giffen is that she appeared in blackface. She went, like, as Bootsy Collins in costume in 2012. There's, like, Facebook pictures of her in 2012. That's too recent. Yeah. <laughs> I think that this is relevant. I think that if we are going to be writing a story about racial politics and casting this woman as sort of like this resistance, this anti-racist person who, who will not accept this reverse racism against white people. The fact that she's appeared in blackface is now newsworthy. So I think that there may be a bit more to this than somebody who simply is an anti-racist, a colorblind anti-racist. Yeah. And, and I think that like this is becoming one of these stories that I guess the term that's thrown around the most is white fragility that like at the, at the slightest sign or the thought that that racism might be turned around, there's an outsized response. Yeah. Well, first of all, you can't go to one of her shows without knowing that. Like, I'm not super familiar with her music, but even I knew that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Her whole thing is prioritizing women of color and marginalized people. You know, her music is for brown girls. Anyone can listen to it, obviously, and I'm sure she has fans from everywhere, but she makes it very clear that as a brown immigrant, she's, you know, making music for her people. If you're not for that, then I understand she's a volunteer, but kind of like the people who were upset, it's kind of like, just don't go. I don't think there's a way to explain this to someone who is angry about it because you'd have to go so far back into like anti-racist, unlearning sort of thing where it's like, well, you know, like exactly what you said, you know, when you go to a show, it's all the dudes, big dudes, white dudes at the front, Women generally don't want to be in that. I mean, it can get very rough, violent. You don't want to be elbowed in the face. So like you said, that is one part of it. But also it's kind of like, I feel like for her as an artist, this is a way to show people who she's prioritizing, which is what, I mean, white people never want to hear that something's not for them, in my experience. (laughs) Like they never want to hear that they're not the target (laughs) audience for something. They never want to be, it's like, wait, what do you mean? I I can't enjoy this. Which isn't even what she's saying, but I don't think there's any way to explain this to someone who doesn't already get it. I mean, there would just be so much foundational knowledge about racism and how white supremacy works and how power dynamics work and unpacking that invisible knapsack. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know where to begin. The immediate thing that's got me concerned is just Lido herself. You know, the imposter did an interview with her before she kind of broke, before her album came out. And I love the way she talked about these things because she was just so outspoken and she had such an understanding of Canadian race dynamics where she was like, you want to put me on your bill as a token? Fine, but you're going to fucking pay me. Yeah. You know, pay me the token tax. You know, she's like, <laughs> I was just like, this is great. This is like totally an empowering message. It's not a hateful message. She's not angry or like condemning, but she's just like got her eyes wide open. She was not yes. going to be anybody's yeah. tool. And and she also like, I think that the music is great and deserved all the attention in the Players Prize. So to see her kind of go from, 
you know, kind of entering the conversation that way and then taken out of context, warped, picked up by Alex Jones, the onslaught of the hatred, like, I just, like, I fear for her. Like, this is not somebody who is... Yeah, and she's getting it crazy shit on Twitter, on Twitter, on Facebook, on every platform she has as an artist. It's 100% the most violent messages that a woman Absolutely. can receive. And it's crazy. Yeah, and Ryan McMahon was saying this. Like, it's not like she's like a Madonna level. She's not like traveling with an entourage and bulletproof. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like you know, like she's exposed, you know? Yeah. It, it's it's a, like I'm scared for her, you know? Yeah, she's handling it so well. She came into a lot of people's um, mind when she won the Polaris and, you know, the whole thing with the everyone talking about the sound guy or whatever. You know that? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Her, you know, like all speech. these things. And I feel like it's just kind of been like... Um, like one thing after another where people are kind of like, yeah, like who is she? And I'm going to start attacking her. And I just couldn't imagine having that like magnifying glass in the moment where your career is really like hitting its stride. And it's just insane to me. You know, of course, like God forbid, you know, like beyond these things that I'm really afraid of, it's just like, I like how open she is. Like, yes. I hope, oh I, my like, God, yes. Like everybody should be careful about what they say and be thoughtful about what they say. But I like, like she's an honest person and I would hate for these experiences to like make her like, you know what? It's not worth it because I'm so I'm so often misinterpreted or uh, you know yeah. warped what I say or it's it's spun that I'll just like like that that would be terrible too. I feel like that could really happen. I don't know. I, I really hope she doesn't either because it's so refreshing and it's so relatable. Like everything she says, you're just like yes, like I feel that way, which is so rare I think for a Canadian celebrity. So yeah, it is it is a shame and everyone's crazy. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read what you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Where can people find you, Sarah? Uh, well, as we know, I do not have a website. You can find me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash geekylonglegs. Geeky Longlegs. Like Canada Land on Facebook and our stuff will appear in your news feed. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash Canada Land. This show was produced by Kevin Sexton and Radia Chaudhry. Syndication of the show we offer it for free to community and campus radio across this country is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us at patreon.com slash Candleland.